0: All right, let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness and thanks for your word. And Lord, we just pray that right now, Lord, we just sit at your feet. You'd have your way with us and guide us and lead us, please, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, We've got a picture right there. Earl did that remotely. That was pretty cool. Just kidding. Now, that was funny, but I got a laser I can shine in your eye. I um, see that right there that's Corinth we're going to start talking about Corinth tonight and so um, I think it I always like uh, just in my mind seeing a map of Corinth right all this is Greece right you know you may know Athens is part of Greece and if we were to blow this all up over here we got you may know what we got over here big city it's got an empire named after it Rome good good And then over here, uh, no, over here, right there at the T, we got a place where um, uh, some say that Jonah tried to go to. Spain. Spain, Spain, very good. Uh, Some say Tarshish was Spain. Kind of a trick question, but my wife got it. I just wanted you all to know that. Um, And then over here, uh, we got Israel. All right. So all that say, Corinth was a major seaport that in many ways divided uh, the east and the west. Does that make sense? And you can imagine, I mean, this plays out even today, right? I mean, uh, the Ohio River, what do you see up and down the Ohio River? Smokestacks, right? It's a good place for transporting coal and stuff like that, right? So these are very real geographical things that, have, that impact uh commerce well how much more so in the ancient world right if you've got um you know you got basically asia minor up here you got greece up here you got rome over here and you got you know israel over here well it's a pretty major shortcut according to uh water navigation to cut through corinth here and so like you know maybe new york city is a great seaport Um, and so, um, with that, you got a lot of commerce. What do you think happens when you got a lot of commerce? You got a lot of like, um, uh, you got a lot of hipster culture and you get a lot of decadence. That's the point in all that. Okay. Does that make sense? Corinth was super wealthy, super decadent. And that's sort of the backdrop that we're talking about when we talk about Corinth. All right. So that's good. Thank you. So. Flip over, if you would, um, uh, because Nate teases me about introductions, about introdu- too long of introductions, right? So, in honor of Nate, flip over to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, Paul's on his second missionary journey. We find him in Athens. Uh, he'd been left alone there for a little bit. He's wandering around. Many of you know the story. He's wandering around. He notices this tomb to, uh, or this, this altar uh, to an unknown God. And he's speaking to all these super Greek philosopher intellectuals. You can just picture them, right? They're all smoking pipes and growing their beards long and, and stroking them. And, and they all sound very uh, eloquent and all that. And Paul sort of engages them. And he engages them in, a, in what many commentators would, would argue is Paul's like most eloquent, like home run of, of articulate, eloquent, oratorial talent. Does that make sense? So he does that. And then at the end of that, verse 32, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, We'll hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the Aeropagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So what happened was, Paul gives this home-run sermon, and it sort of falls flat. Right? Can you imagine a guy ever doing that? Me neither. But... He has this great expectation that this was like his, he was totally logical, he was totally just giving it all he's got, and some mocked, some believed, and uh, most commentators would say that he left disappointed, and we'll read more evidence of that as we get into chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. Um, but then he goes on, he says, after these things, he departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And at Corinth, he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had re- recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. So you hear people maybe talk about Priscilla and Aquila, they're Paul's tentmaker friends. They got booted out of Rome, they found themselves here in Corinth, Paul meets up with them, because they're tentmakers and he's a tentmaker, they meet up with him. and Uh, So, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation. They were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Now, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook off his garments and said to him, "'Your blood be on your own heads.' I am clean. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justus, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his household, and many Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in in the night by a vision, saying, "Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and will, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city." And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So I want you to kind of see the setting. you got a very uh, wealthy, prosperous, decadent city called Corinth. Lots of very, if you think of, we talked about this, uh, I think it was last Wednesday, sort of this cultural divide between uh, the Jews who, you know, were... Probably super reliant on their own strictness, and the Gentiles, who were basically uh, pagans, and when the Gentiles become christian they 're formerly pagan Christians, and when the Jews become christian they 're formerly legalist christians and so there 's a little bit of a cultural divide, but these guys are full blown pagans that are getting saved, and the Bible and Acts tells us that there are many of them and so um, so Paul stays there for a year and a half. He establishes this church. And then uh, that's on his second missionary journey. And then on his third missionary journey, probably while he was at Ephesus, there around Acts chapter 20, he gets, uh, receives probably two different letters. One from Chloe's household, we'll get referenced tonight. And the other was another letter that asked a bunch of questions. And you may recall during 1 Corinthians, there's several times he says, now about these things that you wrote to me, Blah 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 blah. This is the answer. So most people say that he got two two letters and is responding to them in what we know to be First Corinthians, written on his third missionary journey, and so, um, so he picks it up. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. So Sosthenes is uh, was the ruler of the synagogue in Corinth uh, after some shake up in Corinth. Anyway. Um, But Paul calls himself an apostle because he's going to exercise some authority here. We've talked about this before. Some books he calls himself bondservant. Some books he calls himself apostle. Here he's apostle. He's not like on a power trip. He's just, he knows that he's going to be uh, talking about some doctrinal things with these guys. He says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, "...with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end and that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord now there's something and there's a reason I read that as a chunk all right now most of us, if we've read 1 Corinthians, or we've talked about 1 Corinthians, and I've talked about it some, and, and we've we've been through it a little bit, many of you have read through this book, you know that this church is messed up. This is the most messed up church in the New Testament, pretty much bar none, right? They were getting drunk at the communion table. They had uh, flagrant immorality within the church that the church all was like, thinking nothing about. They were suing one another, uh, just all kinds of stuff. And uh, this church was very messed up. And I want you to see, first of all, the introduction to this messed up church. It's full of God's grace, full of God's grace. Look at this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about that before. Grace comes before peace, they always go hand in hand. You can't have peace without grace. I'll say it every time I read this. You can't have peace without the grace of God. You can try, you can try, you can try, but you cannot have peace without the grace of God. So he talks about grace and peace. He says, uh, I thank God for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ. You were enriched in everything by him. Just as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord. And God is faithful. Oh, he's going to confirm. I'm sorry. And he'll also confirm you to the, to the end. That you'll be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Does that sound like a messed up church? That sounds like a completed church, right? So here's what I want us to see. First of all, before we go deeper into 1 Corinthians, God sees us as a finished work. Please, please, please. If we've received Jesus Christ as our Lord, he sees us as a finished work. Now, we see ourselves as pretty unfinished. We see each other as pretty unfinished. We see this church as pretty unfinished. I get all of that. And God is not blind to who we are, but God sees a finished work. And it's frankly a good model for us, right? And I again, I've said this before I, I, I love I love the, the way this body functions, and yet it's because of the grace of God, right? And so we need to keep choosing to walk in the grace of God, but um, I love that. I love that that's how he starts this book. So that's sort of the sovereignty part. Think of that as the sovereignty part, right? God is, God is seeing a finished work. He sees a finished work in them. He's going to see a finished work in us. Fair enough? Now we'll get down to the other side. All right. Here's the other side. Now I plead with you, brethren. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So this is the responsibility part, right? I think of it like this in some ways, sometimes. I mean, this is a little bit of a broad stroke, so bear with me. I think of, you know, we talked about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, right? Both are true. They're both real. We know all that, right? God is completely sovereign, God completely sees a finished work, God does that work in our hearts, God's the one that saves us, God's the one that even gives us the desire to be saved, God does all the work in our lives. And yet there is this responsibility part that we are accountable for our actions, there's a principle of sowing and reaping, and all of that. And those two things go together, hand in hand, all the time. You hear me talk about it all the time. I think of it like this. I think of so- God's sovereignty as sort of the big picture, and man's responsibility as the little picture. Does that make sense? So my responsibility is to do the right thing today, but in the grand scheme of things, these decisions that I'm making and these conversations that I'm having and these uh, struggles and victories that I'm having probably don't matter in the grand perspective that that God would see from his perspective. Is that fair? But we still have to deal with them. You know, I'm not saying just blow them off. But we still have to deal with them. But I think of them, I think it helps if we put them in perspective. The things that maybe we struggle with, the the victories and the challenges and the struggles and all of that are maybe, and again, I don't want to minimize because I know we all have difficult things that we go through. I don't want to minimize at all. But I think in the big picture, they're not as big as we think they are. So that's one thing I want to point out. specifically here, he's calling these people to be in unity. Now, we all may have different opinions. We have different convictions. We've talked about this a million times, particularly there towards the end of Romans. It seems like that was kind of the vibe that we got from that, but we can have different opinions. We can have different convictions. We can have different backgrounds, but we still can walk in unity with those with those things. I, I've mentioned a few times. I'm In this interesting sort of I don't know it's phase if you will uh, in my doctor practice where the Lord has given me these relationships with these people that I don't agree with and I think it's it's good for me it's healthy and um, you know I see you guys in my office you know and I can agree with you right I see other people in my office I totally don't share the same worldview, but it's like, I need to, first of all, if I'm ever gonna uh, have any positive impact on them or evangelize to them, right, I'm gonna, I'm not not gonna be shy. I'm not like, okay, I'll never, I'll just, you know, hopefully they'll just notice my lifestyle and that'll be it, but I at least have to build rapport with them. Does that make sense? And I could kill that rapport by uh, bulldozing them with my convictions, fair enough? So it's like, I don't want to be too wimpy, I don't want to be a bulldozer, right? And I'm learning how to do that, right? And that's a process really for all of us. We've got to not be wimpy, we've got to not be wishy-washy, all that, but we also have to be gracious. And so that's kind of what, what he's calling for with this unity. Verse 11. For it's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, By those of Chloe's household, that's the first letter I referenced, that there are contentions among you. Now, I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, that'd be Peter, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Now, they did that in those days. Do we do that in our day? What if I read this? Some of you say, I am of John Piper. Is that fair? Some of you are of John John Piper, right? Some of you say, I am of Pat Robertson, right? Is that fair? Some of you say, I am of Chuck Smith. One of the three of you is right. Just kidding. Had you for a minute, right? I had you. Right? We We do that. Here's the point. We do that. Right? It's okay if somebody leans one way, or somebody else leans another way. It's okay if somebody's a little more sovereignty, and somebody else a little more responsibility. It's okay if somebody else somebody's a little uh, more spirit, and somebody else a little more word or you know doctrine. Is that okay? It's totally okay. It's healthy. It's healthy. And I'll tell you this, just FYI, even even in Calvary Chapel circles, right? Which was the Chuck Smith thing, right? How does this roll in Calvary Chapel circles? Now, some of you don't know because, you know, you're not born and raised in Calvary Chapel circles. But let me just say this. It happens there too. Happens there too. And at the risk of being recorded, thankfully I'm not exactly viral, There, there have been major challenges in this very thing in the last five to ten years was well, honestly since Chuck Smith died because he was sort of the figurehead of the Calvary Chapel movement right and everybody kind of looked to his leadership and all that look to the Lord but look to his leadership and then when he dies there's a little bit of a thing going on right and it's honestly as I read these words it's no different than this and I've and I thankfully it's all kind of for the most part settled down now but I remember going to pastor's conferences and I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm hearing kind of one side of the story, right? And I know that, you know, there's, you know, there's sort of these two sides of this thing and I think I'm supposed to be on this side and I'm sitting there with, you know, my, my, my buddies uh, from the area, right? And we're kind of like, I just want to teach the Bible. Is that okay? <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't have to choose sides. We don't have to pick a fight. And we don't have to decide if we're of Paul or of Apollos or of Peter. We can all just follow the Lord. And so uh, the point in all that is not to trash any, any, anybody in particular. It's to point out that we are all vulnerable to this. We are all vulnerable to this, and we need to be careful. He said, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I did not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ Christ should be made of no effect. Now, again, I don't want to split hairs on this either, but just as a matter of teaching, since we're going through these verses, Paul was called to preach the gospel. He says, I was not called to baptize. Now, I wouldn't argue with this over, any, over anybody with this necessarily, but what this means to me is uh, baptism is not necessarily a requirement for salvation because Paul is preaching the gospel, and he makes a distinction between that and uh, baptism. Baptism is something that we do as an act of obedience and um, was modeled by Jesus and commanded for us to do so um, That's that Verse 18 for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing But to us who are being saved it is the power of God notice this please the message of the cross is foolishness to some But to others, it's the power of God. The message of the cross is the power of God. Romans chapter 1. Nate read this and referenced it several times. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm sorry, first, chap- first Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in what? power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So three separate references that tell us that the gospel is the power of God, the Greek word dunamis that we get our word dynamite from. The gospel is the power of God. Now let me just point out for a second, what is the gospel? The gospel is the message that I'm a sinner, I was born a sinner, and there's only one solution to my sin problem. My sin problem destines me for eternity in hell. There's only one solution for my sin problem, and that was the fact that Jesus Christ came, and he died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. He was buried. He rose again, and I receive him into my heart, and I am saved. That is the gospel message. Now, here's what I love about this. We talked about, you know, some people are uh, maybe more into the Holy Spirit or spiritual gifts or whatever like that, right? And there are definitely, um, the gifts are, I believe, all for today and all very real and can be very powerful, right? But not everybody has certain gifts. Who has the gospel? Everybody. All Christians. We all have the power of God because we all have the gospel. It's important that we know that. We don't have to have a certain doctrinal bent. We don't have to have a certain gift of the Holy Spirit. We all have the gospel, and we all have the ability to communicate power. Those words, when we tell somebody that I'm a sinner, Jesus Christ died for me, and as a result, he rose from the dead to the living, and I'm going to heaven, those words are more powerful than just those words. That's the gospel message. And it is powerful. And we need to never lose sight of that. It's not just words on a page. It's not just words in our mouth. It is the gospel message. And it's very, very powerful. He goes on. He says, For it is written, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to to save those who believed. For the Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So the Jews look for signs. We like to look for signs, right? Do signs and miracles confirm our faith? Absolutely. Are signs and miracles alive and well today? Absolutely. Please make no mistake about that. Absolutely. And do they enhance, do they, do they encourage our faith? Absolutely. The Jews looked for signs. The Greeks looked for logic. Do we look for logic? Do we want our gospel message to make sense? Yeah, for sure. We don't look for logic in and of itself. But we kind of look for signs. We kind of look for logic. But the gospel we preach, Christ crucified, right? Basically the gospel message. He said we preach Christ crucified. That's the gospel message. It's a stumbling block to Jews, and it's foolishness to Greeks. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the power of God. Notice also here, verse 25, The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. God's foolishness and God's weakness is better than anything the world has to offer. Please, 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 don't lose sight of that. They will tell us that we're foolish to believe in Jesus. And I believe this is getting more so in our sort of uh, intellectually enlightened society. Right? Again, since I'm not uh, virally recorded, right? Our intellectually enlightened society... Uh, you may notice, uh, particularly since the pandemic and maybe since the last presidential election, we hear the word science thrown around a lot. Everybody knows that? Have you noticed? Raise your hand if you notice that the word science is thrown, gets thrown around a lot. We rely on science, right? And it's as if to say, that is a found. I, if, if I am standing on science, then there's a couple things that I'm saying. If I'm standing on science, number one, you're standing on something less than science. And the fact that I'm standing on science means I'm standing on a firm foundation. That's what the world would say, right? This is the same ideology, by the way. Again, I'm not trying to get political. Can you, am I okay if I'm not getting political? Is that all right? This is the same ideology where a Senate... Um, vetting process asks a potential Supreme Court candidate, can you define a woman? Now, I've taken some science classes. Right? I would say a woman, as opposed to a girl, is an adult, human being, who, in all of her cellular material, has two X chromosomes. And we therefore call her woman. Hear her roar. Right? Is that fair? That's science. Science would say, yep. Specifically, biological science, genetic science, would say she has two X chromosomes. Right? So the same folks that articulate that we stand on science can't seem to answer the, those kinds of questions. Does that fit with 1 Corinthians chapter 1? There's like the wisdom of the world and there's God's foolishness and they seem contrary to one another, right? So, and again, that's not to, that's not to belittle anybody. It's just to point out the contradiction. We think differently because we're Christians. That's just a reality. For you see, verse twenty-five, six, twenty-six. For you see, your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. So the foolish things of the world and the weak things of the world would be things like, I don't know. I'm no PhD, but I think a woman is like an adult girl with two X chromosomes, right? That feels like the weak things of the world, or the foolish things of the world. Honestly, I think that puts to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of this world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. I say this just very transparently, obviously. Because I think there's a thing going on in our society right now That we are made to feel like we're stupid if we think a woman is somebody with two X chromosomes and if you find yourself in one of these situations or even as you read and listen to the world dialogue about it It just feels condescending Have you noticed that? Right? Like, am I missing something? Like, you're talking down to me because I don't, I guess, know what a woman is according to your enlightened definitions. And so, I don't mean to talk down to them. That's not our purpose, right? Our purpose is just to recognize that this world thinks differently than God's world. And that's the reality. And we are lights in a dark world. It's our job to not beat up anybody. It's not our job to argue with anybody. It's not our job to uh, berate anybody. It's not our job to speak down to anybody. It's our job to light up a dark world. Chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. This is why I read at the beginning, you know, he came, he, he came to Corinth after having been in Athens and preaching this great eloquent sermon in all of his strength and eloquence and, and great oratorial skills and all of that and he got sort of uh, sort of run out of town kind of a thing. I mean, there was some response, and, and you can't take anything away, away from it. It was, a, it was very logical, very articulate, very what God would have for him at that time. But he went from Athens to Corinth and said, I'm just going to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And it's almost as if Paul himself had to work through this a little bit. Like he had to work through from going from, uh, you know, being very articulate to just preaching Christ and him crucified. By the time he came to Corinth, he was less reliant on his own eloquence. And I think in a sense that's the challenge for all of us, right? We need to rely on God, right? We all have various talents or various gifts or various abilities or various resources or whatever like that. And there's always going to be a temptation for us to rely on those things but we have to rely on God and preaching him Christ and him crucified is a good place to start. He said in my speech verse four and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So when Paul spoke in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, He was much more effective. Again, who has access to the gospel? We do. Who has access to the Holy Spirit? We do. Right? Does it matter how how eloquent we are? No. We've got the gospel. We've got the wisdom of God. We've got the Holy Spirit. However, when we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the... However, we speak wisdom among those who, ma- who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. And so, um, the wisdom is available to us, the wisdom of God. James 1.5 promises, if any of you lack wisdom, just ask of God, and he gives to all liberally. And so, he promises that, and, um, and yet, The wisdom of this age and the rulers of this age are coming to nothing. That's tough. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden message, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew for had they known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the rulers in those days thought they were in control just like now. right? Do the rulers, when you see Rulers, I mean, they're maneuvering all over the place right now, right? And they act like they're kind of in charge of the world, right? In various degrees or another. But God's in charge of the world. God is sovereign. And so they thought in those days they were in control just like they do now. And they killed Jesus not knowing that they weren't in control. Think about this. The dialogue between Pontius Pilate and, John, and Jesus in John 19. Pilate says, do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all, unless, ag- at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. No wonder Pilate was shaken in his boots. Think about that. Pilate thinks he's in control. He says, do you realize I could release you? And Jesus says, do you realize you wouldn't be in your position if it weren't granted to you by God? It's totally true. Totally true. So the world leaders, the world wisdom, all of the great wisdom of the world doesn't stand up to the Lord. Verse 9, but as it is written, I is not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. I love this. I love this transition he makes. So God has blessed us beyond our natural senses, and by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, he reveals to us the nature of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man who dwells in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Do you know what pain in my body feels like? Do I know what pain in your body feels like? You can describe it to me, right? You ever heard uh, two kids argue about who, who got sicker over a certain thing? or who you know when they smash their you know I know when you smashed your hand with a hammer it really hurt but hurt worse when I did it right do we know what's going on in somebody else's pain sensors no no we don't who knows the things of god except the spirit of god who is god and that spirit lives in us is that crazy We're so blessed. We have the Holy Spirit, and because we have the Holy Spirit, he knows the things of God because he is God and he dwells in us. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That's beautiful. These things we also speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So, there's the natural man that you'll see referenced uh, particularly here in Corinthians, and uh, next week we'll read about it more. Some people refer to this as the carnal man, right? Um, And there's also the spiritual man, right? The person who follows after the Holy Spirit. Now, the reality is we have the Holy Spirit, right? So we can be the spiritual man. Does that mean we're always the spiritual man, right? Do we act carnal at times? Yeah. And so, you know, we have this flesh and the spirit, and and, uh, Galatians tells us they they, they are at enmity with one another. Right, but we're told to walk in the Spirit, and we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it's like we have this carnal side, and we have this Holy Spirit side, and we need to choose to walk in the Holy Spirit side, and we need to choose to crucify the flesh of the carnal side. And by God's power, we can do that. Now you say, "Wait a minute! I don't know about how do I know that I have." the Holy Spirit. Turn over to Luke chapter 11 and then we'll close. Luke chapter 11, verse 11, starting in verse 11. This is Jesus speaking. He said, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? So if you're, you know, if you fathers, your children ask you for one of these things, these are reasonable requests, right? Basically food. You know, you won't give him a scorpion because you think it's funny. He said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the holy spirit to those who what ask him ask him so check this out what we learned what we have from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2 we have the gospel it's the power of god we have wisdom that god gives to us freely James chapter 1 that supersedes all the wisdom of the world And even the rulers that are represented by that wisdom. And we have the Holy Spirit so long as we ask. Now, here's what I love about this. Does it take a special super Christian to have access to the gospel message? Or just any Joe Christian? What's the word? What's the answer? Everybody say it, class. Any Joe Christian, right? Does it have to you have to be a superly enlightened, hyper educated, seminary degreed person to have godly wisdom that, that surpasses the wisdom of the world? Or does it happen to any Joe Christian? Do you have to be like reared in a super charismatic background in order to receive the Holy Spirit? Or is it to anybody who asks? Anybody who asks. Think about this. The tools we have to navigate this life. The gospel. The wisdom of God. And the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? He gives us all that. Now. The reality is. Sometimes we choose to walk according to the natural man. Right? When we do. Repent. Get back up. The spiritual man's right there, right? And we navigate, we navigate together, we navigate like the body of Christ, and it's a beautiful thing that we can be light to a dark world. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you. Thank you that you've given us all that we need to navigate this Christian life. So much, so much blessing in the gospel, the power of God, So much blessing and godly wisdom that is greater than the wisdom of the world. And so much blessing and power through the person of the Holy Spirit who knows the mind of God because he is God. Lord, we're thankful for that. Help us to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Help us to navigate this life graciously and powerfully. That we would illuminate a dark world. Thank you for the privilege of serving you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.